Hello and welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. Uh, this episode is going to be a little different. Uh, I went out to the Security Week CISO forum last week. I moderated a couple of sessions out there and got a chance to mix it up uh, with some CISOs and some other decision makers in cybersecurity. Uh, one of the sessions we did out there was a fireside chat with Rich Searson. Uh, Rich is the Chief Information Security Officer at the Lending Club. And Rich and I got a chance to chat about a lot of uh, interesting issues uh, around defending a company in the fintech space, uh, the role of the CISO, and some of the challenges uh, he faces with his peers. Uh, we also took some uh, interesting questions from the audience and had a really fun, interesting chat. So uh, without any delay, here is that conversation. Rich Searson is a CISO at Lending Club. Um, can you start by just giving me a brief, giving the audience a brief overview of what is the Lending Club? What do you guys do? What sure. problems are you solving? Sure. We're, so we're the first uh, peer-to-peer lender. We're um, publicly traded, and we do probably about uh, 10,000 loans a day. Um, so I've been there for about uh, just over four months. Part of that, I was the CISO and VP of Trust at Twilio. Part of that, I was the general ma- vice president general manager cybersecurity and privacy for GE, and then there's other stuff. And, um, and in terms of, I've, you'll hear more about this later, I've written a, a book as well, um, and it's very good for pressing flowers. For pressing flowers. Uh, how do you view your role as the CISO, uh, sp- specifically as it relates to FinTech, because you're in, you're in this financial services space. Uh, is it possible to drop a CISO in, in any industry, or does, does a CISO have to have some sort of, spe- um, is there any sort of specialization in the CISO space? Um, so FinTech, you know, f- subset of financial services is a highly regulated business, as you can only imagine. So critical infrastructure, mm-hmm. right? Um, I have a background in communications and um, healthcare as well, so I've got a critical infrastructure. So I'd say generally a CISO who perhaps has experience with highly regulated, um, target-rich environments would likely be successful coming into FinTech. Obviously, if they have a financial services background, that helps. Again, the idea of dropping somebody in and mm-hmm. having them be successful. Why would anyone want to be a CISO? It's, uh, on, on, on average, the tenure is about 17 months. It's stress and anxiety. I imagine there are shitty days. I imagine there are some uh, uh, just agita at all times. Why would, and you're a serial CISO at this stage. Yeah. Why would anyone want to be a CISO? Give me a sense of the mindset of someone who takes on that challenge. Um, I, I think somebody who's an operator, when I say operator, they really, um, they like building capabilities. If you're a capability builder, um, you know, capabilities composed of people, process, technology. Systems are composed of capabilities. If you're a systems thinker, um, you're an operator, you like to design systems. Um, you know, cross-cutting concerns is of interest to you and complexity, including in particularly with technology. If that fascinates you and you can see yourself, again, as a designer of capabilities and ensembling the team to make that happen and then integrating with an organization, then that can be really exciting for you. And yeah, your deal with... Um, you know, real risk, you know, probable future loss, probable catastrophic loss. I'd argue that one of the things for a CISO that can be interesting, particularly in, like, in fintech, in any fast-moving industry that's high stakes, is the opportunity to uh, not just deal with catastrophic loss, but to be thinking about, okay, how do I reduce opportunity loss? How do I help fintech go fast safely, right? So the conversation changes not just from how do I prevent 
a catastrophe, but how do I do that effectively while not being a boat anchor? More so, how do I do that effectively and turn it into a competitive advantage? Because everyone in my industry, everyone who's in FinTech, has to do these regulatory things. They have to be a good defender, and they have to allow their software development teams, their platforming teams in particular, to go fast. And so I think if, you, if that fascinates you, if that big sort of systems creation thinking fascinates you, then so CISO you can be a great challenge. What? It's, it's just I think the intellectual it is. challenge. I, I think it is. I think it should be. If you're just an advanced blocker and tackler, I think that can be, um, that, that's probably not as enjoyable. And that, was, that segs right into my next question. Should a good CISO be involved in blocking and tackling, or should he just sit at the top of the organization, set strategy, set policies? Well, you know, when it comes, for example, if you come to me and say, hey, Rich, we want you to uh, architect, you know, the, our new, you know, encryption strategy or MFA, the, the, thing I'm gonna, the thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to industry and get the very best people, be it third party or first party. I've, you know, I've been doing this for, for 20 years. There are people who are absolutely thinking deeply about these topics. I want to make sure that I'm bringing the best people to the table. That's the job of a leader, right? Mm -hmm. the, you know, again, people process technology. There are a lot of folks who are CISOs who are what I'd call security leaders. Mm -hmm. They're typically working for smaller companies, and they still need to be very hands-on. That's, that's great. But at some point in time, you're going to be dealing with large industry. You're going to be dealing with risks that, you know, where if something bad happens, the world knows about it. At that point in time, my, my job, I think any leader's job, is to bring absolutely the best minds to bear on any given topic. I hope that answers your question. It does. Um, I want to segue into something we heard on the panel yesterday. You weren't here, but Adam Ailey uh, talked about in, in a risk management uh, scenario at Walmart, where he has big, large organization with a multitude of resources. He talked about uh, at all times he has, as a within his CISO organization, has total visibility into financials of the organization. So at any point in time, he knows that if there's a trucking failure here or some sort of downtime here, he knows the exact number that it costs the company. So they, 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 can, they can measure this risk in a very, very real, tangible way in terms of dollars and cents. Yeah. Is that how you view things? Is that, uh, is that practical for a, a CISO of small organizations? Do you look at it that way where you fully understand the measurement of risk um, uh, as it affects your security organization? So again, going back to the term opportunity loss, those sorts of measures. So the logistics is a, um, you know existential risk for Walmart, obviously. You could say in one sense they're mm -hmm. a logistics company, right? And, but you uh, can apply that kind of, uh, uh, for you, downtime, I, I'm guessing. It's, yeah. it's a big Any, issue. Yeah, anything that's going to reduce my ability to um, expose value to my customers, um, I think we should intend, to, if we don't know how to measure that now, mm -hmm. we should intend on measuring that. So again, when it comes to uh, you know, security, I want to know, am I, you know, am I reducing you know, the rate and time to live of loans and threats, mm -hmm. right? That's an you know, attack surface. That's my job. Um, if I can get to a place where those, those things, those capabilities I'm implementing, if we see that, by the way, that's reducing throughput of software, releases, what have you, I want to be able to know that. Right? Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to make changes so that we can, again, go fast safely. So like, A, I can protect the company. Um, and so my long-winded answer is absolutely we want to get to that place. I think it takes time you know, to get there. In a perfect world, who should a CISO be reporting to? In a perfect world. 
Well, in financial services, we have this concept of the three lines of defense, right? So think of uh, defense in depth for a, a business, right? And so the first line is your technology and operations. These are people who are executing the business. Mm -hmm. Then you have second line. Second line typically would be your risk management, right? Your CISO could be in there. And then you have your third line board, you know, GC, CEO, what have you. Um, I think, it, you know, I, I suppose the challenge that I put forth for, for a CISO and for industry is, you know, should the person who's responsible for digital risk management be reporting to the person responsible for digital risk creation? That's a question we need That's to ask ourselves. Question. Yeah, and um, it's the kind of question that regulator, regulatory bodies ask. It's mm -hmm. what drives the concept of separation of duties. So, um, you know, the, the question you have to ask is how do you do that effectively? Can you have security that's involved in execution that's first line, and then security that's more involved with governance in second line? I don't know if that answers it, but. Uh, Adam Ely again yesterday uh, kind of struck a nerve with me. He said we are in the midst of a gold rush in cybersecurity. VCs are funding everything that they that cross their path. Um, uh, there's a lot of money being, I mean, you're being bombarded daily by vendors trying to sell you something. Have we as an industry gotten better though? Because um, I agree with him, there's money everywhere. Uh, but have we as an industry in general gotten, has this helped, this gold rush helped in any way? Uh, we're still inundated with breach news. Companies are assuming compromise, even if the breach news is not out yet. Um, vulnerability, zero days, uh, critical infrastructure compromises, is just every day in the news. Uh, as an industry, have we gotten better, say, over the last five to 10 years? I know it's a crazy no, it's a big, question. It's a big question. Just trying to understand. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And you know, I'd actually take that question and say that's the question the CISOs, that's our question. Mm -hmm. The question for myself is, in terms of the capabilities I'm implementing, um, are we any better, right? A lot of times people will look at external benchmarks and say, are you better than this great company or this great company? Or if there actually is a published benchmark, you know, how do you compare? But the reality is, you know, have we measured where we are in terms of, again, the risks that we're, expo you know, the risks that we're excreting last year to this year? Um, are we more efficient in both uh, reducing the rate at which we expose risk are we better in terms of reducing the time to live? This is a tax surface. Um, and in the investments that we're making in third-party technology, what part is it playing in reducing that? If you're not measuring these things, I'd say you don't probably know a lot about security. We need to be able to ask that question of ourselves. Is what I'm doing reducing both the rate and time to live of vulnerabilities and threats? Am I shrinking the tax surface? And more importantly, is what I'm doing scaling? Third-party technologies play a key role in that. And if I can't answer that myself, if I don't know whether that's occurring, I'd argue that I'm probably not doing engineering first and foremost, likely not doing security. Um, for the big, so CISOs need to be asking those questions. It takes time to get there, to develop that maturity. Um, and then, you know, then the question is, yeah, is the industry getting better? I don't know, but my job is to know if whether I'm getting better or not. <laughs> By the way, if I can't answer that question, then I'm really just doing security activity, right? Does that make, a, does it make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Right. I think about this stuff a lot, you know, so. What would you say are your top um, blocking and tackling priorities for your team? What are, what are five, four or five things that you want your team to absolutely get right on the block, blocking and tackling front? Um, or how should a CISO or, or the defenders in this group, how should, what, what are the blocking and tackling things that you think should be at the top of the list? 
gosh, I mean, this is going to probably sound redundant, potentially boring. The most important thing, I think, for a CISO is trying to uh, attract and retain um, talent. Mm -hmm. I know that everyone hears that. I don't know why you think that's boring. I think that's top of mind yeah. for all of us. Well, because they hear it all the time. But I think that that's, that's really uh, critical. Um, I think that for... What's the answer? Um, well, I think, first of all, as, as a CISO, you, if you're going to go work for a company and you've been doing this for 10, 20 more years, make sure you work for a company that where you can go in and say, look, uh, I, I need the ability to bring in people, for, particularly from my background, who are proven professionals, decade plus. What have, if, this assumes you're working at a company that really has real risk, mm -hmm. right? There are a lot of hobby companies. If you're going to a company that actually has real risk, real threats, you need to be able, as a leader, to be able to bring in uh, tried and tested people, wherever they sit. You know, if you've got a guy who's got a soybean farm, sells soybean futures in Indiana, happens to be one of the best you know, folks in the world, yeah, and he wants to sit there and he'll still work 12 hours a day for you, then you should be able to do that, I think. I mean, I'm just saying by example, we need the flexibility. If I'm going to be beholden to own and only have the budgets to hire people with two years of experience in San Francisco, that, that's, that can be very, very yeah. difficult. And so people, it, it's so critical. And a CISO needs, for those of you who are considering hiring a CISO, I think it's really important, first and foremost, do they have Rolodex? Do they have reach into the industry? Can they attract great people? And will the organization allow you to actually bring in those people? There are organizations that won't do that. They, 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 they're, it's strange. But... That's really important. So people are primarily important. The second thing, you know, I, I, I want to interrupt you because I want to uh, stick on that point. There's, uh, I heard a, a thinking from some folks who said, you know, we need to start looking in non-traditional places for security uh, talent. Uh, in gaming, for instance, they have the, the mindset already of, of trying to avoid cheats, and uh, and they're uh, are taking taking game gaming developers really work for pen testing, like a pen testing company. Uh, some folks were talking about why aren't we looking for talent in these non-traditional areas? Why are we so focused on you know, finding security people? Do you think that works across the board where there's no such thing as a security person? They might be really, really talented, uh, uh, skilled either developers or responders, incident responders, whatever, in other non-traditional places? Sure. I mean, a lot of security folks, um, well, depending on how far back you go, all started out somewhere else. I was a software developer. I came from that route. Several of the people on my team um, who are now directors plus are actually were software developers. Um, they've been security folks for 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, so we have plenty of empirical evidence that folks who come from other areas can can do that. But my point is, for a, for a CISO, you know, you you need to be. If you're not, you really need to be building your brand. Your it's people. Process technology. I know in our industry you keep going technology and then other stuff, but it really is so important that you have a great uh, brain trust. And your job as a CSO to be is to, I think, be building your brand and having mm -hmm. people over the course of a couple of decades or however long you've been doing this that will follow you. And then the next important thing from process perspective, I do think security is an engineering problem. And if you look outside of security, how do people who are building serious who are dealing with serious engineering problems like shooting a rocket to the moon or building a suspension bridge or what have you, um, they are starting out with the, a specification that says this thing has, like a bridge, this bridge that's spanning this distance has to be able to carry this much weight per square foot, whatever, right? They start with a, with a target. 
as security folks, we need to be thinking that way as well. Mm -hmm. you know, what, given the nature of the risks that we have, the types of data that we process, the types of customers we deal with, in terms of our strategy where it's expanding over the, you know, the nation, over the world, what are the outputs that we should be expecting? And how do we start designing to that? This is you know, kind of design engineering. I don't see, I think, enough of that sort of thinking. So again, being able to have a team that's mature enough to think like engineers. A lot of security folks are not ready for that. They want to they go do security stuff. They want to go buy a vendor solution. It's great. They want to go implement a vendor solution. They want to go then do this task and then do this task. They want to do a lot of task-oriented work. Serious engineering does not work that way. It's very targeted towards an outcome. And I'd actually argue that uh, it, in security, if we don't, as an industry and as a domain of concern, start thinking this way, and we continue to be like, I always say, like cobblers, you know, cobblers, shoemakers like to make shoes. They make some left-footed shoes, right-footed shoes. Someone who just wants to cobble, they're going to task, 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 but they're not thinking about, you know, what what's the outcome? Mm -hmm. Since we talked about shoes, you're a shoe guy. Um, security needs to, as leaders in particular, as leaders of industry, we need to start really taking an engineering perspective. What's the output? What's ex what's expected? How do we measure it? Mm -hmm. You know, how do we ensure we're heading in the right direction? Then we can go ahead and bring those third parties that really amplify that strategy. Sorry, I went long on that. That's fine. That's fine. I we have just a few minutes, so I, but I wanted to touch on two two things, three things actually. Zero trust. There's a lot of energy in 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 moving towards a zero trust model. Is that something easy to do if you're not there? Is it e is it easy for a, a traditional company that looks at the perimeter one way? to migrate to zero trust? So, um, I know for startups it's easy. You just come out of the gate, you, you implement it. So, zero trust is a dog whistle. You have, you have uh, you know, you have Beyond Corp, you have zero trust, you have now companies that are branding towards zero trust. I actually would like to elevate zero trust as a principle, right? Mm -hmm. um, I almost think like there's something measurable. There's zero trust and then there's more, you know, maybe there's, you know, maybe there's less than or more than. The, the principle of zero trust is given, given a, you could call it, call it a zone, mm -hmm. have you basically put too much trust into uncontrolled resources? Have you said, okay, if I allow you, some entity, some user, some process, to exist in a space, it could be a space within, uh, you know, um, down, you know, within a, a system, or it could be a whole, you know, DMZ, it could be a whole enterprise environment. If I allow you to be in this space, have I said to you effectively, okay, you can be here, but you must behave? And if that, and that's a policy, mm -hmm. whether, whether it's consciously competent or unconsciously incompetent, you've just expressed a policy. If you are in this and in zone, practice, that's the old NEC, the network access control or network access protection. Right. But the question you have to ask yourself is, is okay, Having now observed that, you have to say, okay, is it okay to allow a user in this zone to, mm -hmm. can I trust you to go and behave well? Right. If that's not adequate, then we have to start asking ourselves, how do we shrink that? You know, the idea of encryption is really shrinking that down to the data element. I mean, that is what zero trust is at the data level. We already do this. We've been doing this for a long time. That is what encryption does at rest in motion and use. That's zero trust at the most finite level. Right? And now we're just saying, okay, what are other, you know, how do we expand out from that? Or how do we take the big flat network and expand mm -hmm. in? So zero trust is a principle I think is most important. Again, people process technology. We set our targets for what we want to express as a policy from a zero trust perspective. Then we can bring in vendors that most economically help us get to the outcome. Is it easy to do? No, nothing's easy to do. <laughs> uh, do you... Uh, uh, 
in your previous organization or in this organization uh, uh, use bug bounty programs? Sure, we do. We use yeah, bug bounty. We do red teaming our own. We use um, third-party penetration tests. We do all of the above. There's a, a, a shift among the bug bounty providers to uh, to position themselves as a solution to traditional pen tests, red teaming, just shifting the model and using the the, the, the crowd. What has been your experience with uh, your bug bounty programs? What, what what would you say have been the pros and cons of turning to bug bounties, or is that just part of a, a so, one Lego in part of a bigger picture? So I've had the experience of using bug bounty now for um, three different organizations. Mm -hmm. And um, in each case, I have found it to be um, fruitful. I would say this, though. You know, if, if money is no object, nothing beats you know, what I call bespoke penetration testing work, where you have highly skilled people who are continuously trying to break things, right? That, but, not many companies can afford, they can't say money's no object there, I'm going to have an army of great right, people, and I'm going to pay them so much that they're willing to, to focus on me. Um, so the question really is, you know, how do I scale out, uh, you know, the detection of, you know, vulnerabilities using chaotic actors, and I think bug bounty is a, is a, a great solution, but I, again, like I said, it should be a layered approach. You have bug bounty, you should, I, I think you should have your own offensive security capabilities mm -hmm. as well. Right? And you should be doing third party, you should be doing all of the above with the hopes of finding stuff that your, you know, your you know, sec DevOps, whatever you want to call it, missed. And last question. Uh, I talked to a lot of defenders a, a lot, and they say, in my world, I am assuming that I'm compromised. I live in an assumed compromised world, and I try to figure out how do I contain it and minimize uh, data exfiltration, minimize the risk, minimize the exposure to no. risk. Is that, is, that an, is that something you think about? Do you assume that Lending Club has a compromise somewhere? And, and how, how does that frame your thinking? And how does that, you know, just to round out the discussion, how does that fit into why would anyone want to be a CISO? Well, I think the taxonomy is really important here. Um, we're compromised all the time. I, if you're ob observant and you, you know, within, depending on the size of your organization, compromise by the way does not equal breach. We have things that get onto our systems regularly. I mean, we wouldn't have vendors, we wouldn't have an industry if the empirical evidence was that, you know, people get viruses. Right. Spear phishing happens. But that doesn't mean you have a breach. No, it does not mean compromise does not equal breach. You, um, depending on the size of your organization, you might be readily compromised all the time. I think what's m the more important distinction comes from Claude Shannon, going back to encryption. Claude Shannon is the grandfather of uh, information theory um, and arguably one of the most important cryptographers, NSA cryptographers, cryptographers in history. Um, he said, the enemy knows the system. And I think that's probably as a CISO, and I think as people who are designing capabilities, that's probably a more important distinction than whether we're compromised. The empirical evidence is you are compromised. And this, I think, for any CISOs here who have been doing this for a while, I say, yeah, always compromised. But the more important thing, and this is why like the whole APT discussion, well, like, I think is somewhat useless, is, you know, again, the enemy knows the system. And so we need to design from a perspective that the enemy actually knows the system, because they do, I think. Um, you know, and so that means how do we design capabilities in such a way where if they did know, right, they did know how you did segmentation or they did know how well or well you didn't do zero trust. They did know where treasure is. They did know how you encrypted data or didn't encrypt data at rest and motion use, right? They did know those things. How do you design from that perspective 
right? To, uh, and how do you know whether it's working or not? I think this is uh, probably a more important principle-based perspective on security. And the last question, you're constantly bombarded with salespeople, uh, uh, hawking their wares uh, to fix all these security problems. What excites you? What, is, uh, what bits of technology or, or solutions you see coming uh, that's new that you think is, this is really, really interesting? Some, something along the lines of... So my my principle for salespeople are, are there anything interesting? Yeah. Are we just recreating the wheel and putting uh, lipstick on? If, if I'm taking a capabilities-based approach where I'm looking to beat the competing model, which is based on the current evidence, I'm looking to get incrementally better at what mm -hmm. I do at a better return on investment. I'm interested in anyone who's going to help me do that, who whatever it is. If you're selling me people or you're selling me technology, give me some examples. Give me some examples of the things you're seeing and hearing that 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 looks intriguing that, that the VCs should be investing in? Um, you know, okay, so I, I've, deal, I've been dealing with a large product teams for a while now. And again, when I think about going fast, you know, we can, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm with a business. Our job is to, uh, you know, create more value, right? And that means exposing more value to more customers through more channels at a higher volume, basically increase the magnitude of business. Whoever can help me produce that value in a safe manner at a cheaper rate, I'm interested in. So when I think about, let's going back to bug bounty, going back to what it is. So I'm, I'm responsible for the security development lifecycle, meaning I'm responsible for that capability. Over time, it should be, it should be producing less risk while we're producing more lines of code, while we're having more scrum teams, while we're creating more value. My job is to reduce the rate at which we're creating, let's say, exploitable vulnerabilities, right? Mm -hmm. so any, and so one of the key things in doing this is making sure that whenever we go to engineering and say, fix this problem, that, it, that there is zero ambiguity for them. Engineers don't want, the engineers are very Boolean logic folks, very smart. They don't want ambiguity. And they want it easy as humanly possible. So in the CICD, in the development process, from design all the way to deploy, Whatever I can do to reduce friction, but ensure that that rate, as we produce more, you know, as we're making more software, is effective, like reducing that rate, that's what I'm interested in right now. So how do I do that? Um, the concept of, uh, you know, again, determining where we have excessive, excessive trust and then reducing that, mm -hmm. this is always going to be um, interesting, right? And so however I can do that in a most effective manner. Um, I'm constantly interested in new... Uh, bleeding edge technology. Um, one of the ways I scale out my ability to know what's interesting is I have a lot of relationships with um, investors because that's their job to know what's going on what's early. I, I work with at least one of them in the audience here and other CISOs as well to try to, you know, how can we create forums to start exposing new bleeding edge technology, become aware of it, scale out our knowledge. What doesn't work though is, you know, um, you know, blind, you know, LinkedIn now has become this cold calling thing. That's horrible. Um, don't do that. Uh, you know, if you want to reach if salespeople, you want to reach, how if, sales, how if you salespeople want to reach people reach. like me, um, you need to typically build a relationship with someone I already trust. You know, surprise, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, we'll leave it there. Do we have time for questions, Mike? Uh, do we have questions? I uh, do some work in financial services, and there's another uh, client that we work with where their CISO has a strategy of what he calls risk elimination. 
which I think doesn't play out very well with their digital teams, you know, in terms of their ability to actually execute business projects. And so you talked a little bit about first line, second line, and where security sits organizationally. Can you talk a little bit about operationally? How do you engage with the business team so that you, you're viewed as a partner versus more of an enemy? Yeah, so that's a, uh, that's a great question. So um, what we're doing right now, this is what I've done in the past, what we're doing right now is what I call shared roadmaps, right? So where we go and so, so I'm accountable to implementing the information security management system. That would, that's like stolen right from like ISO, but that's my job. I'm accountable to that, right? What, how do we know CISOs are accountable for that? They get fired when things go bad. So we have empirical evidence that that's true. But I'm accountable. The operations folks, the engineering folks, are responsible typically for execution, right? So if I'm going to get them to execute something that might seem like a distraction to the value they're producing, um, that means, first of all, we have to have some agreement on the specification. This is a risk. We need to fix it. Then my job as accountable is to go resource that, typically, right? If a design, I'm going to resource that. What does that mean? Money, typically. And I'm going to make it easy for them to execute on something that might seem like a distraction to their core function. And then, of course, I'm going to then govern that process. Does it work? Oftentimes, as a security person, that governance is the um, application of adversarial procedures. Angry packets. Any other questions? In the back. Uh, OK, maybe two quick questions. Um, I, I know a lot of organizations uh, operate um, without a CIO, for example, you know, or, or a CISO. Um, and they're just, it's a maturity thing. There's certain events that happen to organization where they say, well, now we need a CIO, and then they mature more, or now we need a CISA. Do you, what kind of events do you see really driving that, that the organizations have to say, like, we need to now cut out a person, cut out a leader, and build out this team? And secondly, if you could tie it in with the relationship to the board, uh, if, what kind of questions is the board um, asking you, know, you of, in terms of metrics? Um, is, is there... Is there pressure from the board level? Um, is there more awareness and, and smarter questions are being asked of CISOs from the board Great level? Question. That's, that's a lot of questions. I'm going to answer the one that I think is most fun. <laughs> and then if we have time, I'll answer the other ones. Um, so what drives, what drives an organization to have executive accountability over capabilities, um, particularly security? What drives that? Um, success, typically. The business has gotten to a place where they have a complex system. Um, and where you have coordination of action, you have cross-cutting concerns, where the actual responsibility execution, meaning funding, gets spread across different organizations, right? And you need some coordination of action, and where the outcomes are catastrophic if it's not done well. That's what drives the need for a CISO. And yeah, you might have had a breach or whatnot, but typically you see CISOs emerging at companies where they're at a stage, in SMB they're getting very M-ish, and maybe they've gone public or getting ready to go public. They're, you know, Mm-hmm. Right. You might have a, a figurehead or an operational person who's a you know security leader, which is kind of probably half their role at least is still as an engineer. But when you get to a point where you have a complex system, maybe you're going global, you are in critical infrastructure, and you're you're expanding, and there's complexity from a um, going back to the idea of how do you work with your various stakeholders where there's some complexity there. That's where you would see typically a CISO or something like that emerging. Um, you had another question. The about, other question oh. was: are, are, are CEOs and board members uh, asking smarter questions? Or are they is it, are they much more engaged in a in a in a mature way around security today than say they were years yeah. ago? Is that? Yeah. What? Yeah, what? 
Yeah, so I do think the boards are getting much more interested in the topic CEOs. When I was at GE, um, I actually presented to Jeff Immelt more than any other executive on security, and I did not report to him. I was, you know, many Kevin Bacons away from him. Um, but hyper-interested, um, and I think most financial services are, and being forced to be from a regulatory perspective as well. Um, the sorts of metrics they are interested in, um, you know, boards and the E-teams, they really do like third-party assurance. I mean, they like the, th yes, great. Shiny CISO, you're, you're shiny for about a day. Um, great, you've onboarded a team, fantastic. Um, so who have you brought in from a third party to validate that what you're doing is actually working? What does it look like from last year to this year? Have we seen a capability maturity, right? Um, and they do like seeing, um, they like seeing rates, right? The things, you know, what percentage was it then? What is it now? What are we seeing? Things like that. I, mean, I think this is probably pretty straightforward. Um, I'm a big advocate for, like, if you're gonna present to a board, you know, one slide is more than enough. I'm used to maybe getting a bullet or two if you get a slide, that's great. Don't don't, don't do CISO diarrhea. Don't do CISO slide diarrhea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks. So, question, Richard, is I know you've had a very illustrious career as CISOs ah. at GE and Kaiser, Twilio, and now Lending Club. Uh, what's different about your role as a CISO now at Lending Club, as you said, with hyper awareness as a financial services company? What's changed? What's been added kind of to your plate maybe about financial services that you hadn't had to deal with in your previous roles? I don't know about having to deal with, but the market, and maybe this is a function of the digital economy, um, you know, things are getting more intangible, intangible, you know, we're shifting a lot of infrastructure out. So things are, uh, you know, marketplace economy is changing things. I think the risk conversation seems to be um, emerging more. When I say risk, um, historically, risk has been treated kind of like a compliancy thing, but now we're starting to get into a risk where we're actually, they're treating it more kind of actuarially, so we're seeing risk become a bigger conversation. Tactically, what's shifted for me is I am hiring a lot more software people. We are working in software-defined environments, so the nature of the people that I'm hiring typically come with strong software skills and strong analytic skills as well. Um, of the 10 people I've hired in the last quarter, I'd say 70% fit that mark. So yeah, much more interested in risk at the higher level, and then the types of people I'm hiring are um, expressive and powerful in software. Not, not just scripting, they're, they've shrink-wrapped. They know how to do this. Yeah. And, and I have a two-part question. Uh, you mentioned that they have to build a relationship with someone you trust. So who, who do you trust to bring you stuff? And the second part is, what sources of information do you trust? Who do I, who do I trust? I, tr I mostly trust other CISOs that I've worked with. Um, I, we, we, work all, we communicate often, so I trust them. Um, there's a, some sets of investors that I've, that I've trusted as well. Because, um, again, there, there are certain investors who are dealing with, uh, you know, they're looking for seed or series A. They're going to bring me, they're going to help me, they're going to package up and bring an opinion, and having a variety of them, and 
you know, like we're looking at container security. Who isn't, by the way? I've got a gaggle of solutions that we're, you know, that we look at. This is just one of many. And any, everyone's doing this. And I'm looking to get opinions from different CISOs, getting opinions from different investors, reading materials as well. And then, of course, proof of concept and having our teams go in and, you know, hammer at these things and then talking to other customers. But the conversation typically starts with other, again, other executives and then investors starting to bring things that they think are, because they're putting their, they're putting a lot of money on the line on these things. And so that's, that's helping update my beliefs about is this possibly interesting or not. So yeah, so to get, again, to get my attention, typically it's through, I mean, that's just the people I spend time with, right, to learn. In fact, I, can I, I, I will make a shameless, may I make a shameless plug? Uh, for my podcast? No, for myself. <laughs> yes, of course. So we do an event. Uh, we, we call it Pitch Perfect Security. We did our first event with Will, actually. He sponsored. That means he brought, bought, he bought C, brought CEOs, pizza, and beer. Um, so at Lending Cloud, we did this uh, a few weeks ago. And when we had a series of C, um, CISOs as a shark tank, one of the main ones right here, Jeff, was part, part of that as well. Um, and so we had four startups that were re relatively early stage, and then we had an audience of practitioners as well, and we gamified it, allowed them to participate digitally. Um, we're doing another one on the uh, 24th of July. Uh, Clear Sky Ventures is doing that. The reason I do this, though, is I, I, you know, I want to build a marketplace where I can get a broad set of opinions. So that's why we have the practitioners, and we gamify it, so we can start getting a broad set of opinions. As I look to think about what are the, some, of the, some of the things that I and my team should be interested in? How do I scale that out? Can, you've heard me talk a lot about people. You've heard me talk a lot about process. This is the process for helping us scale out our exposure and getting more collective intelligence about what's interesting. This is super important. And that's, by the way, that's why I'm here in part two for things like this, is to get exposed to new interesting technology and get the opinions of my um, peers. So, kind of went long on that, but there you go. Can I do a plug for my podcast? You should. Uh, I, I do a podcast. It's at securityconversations.com, and it's, it's basically me just shooting the breeze with CISOs, defenders, VCs, and people in the security space. Listen to it. Yeah. And you work with Bishop Fox. And I work for Bishop Fox, the global leader in yeah, something. They're, something. they're great. I like <laughs> Bishop Fox. Thank you guys very much. Thank you, Rich. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you.